0: This episode is dedicated to the 723 people with COVID-19 who came to recover at the Boston Hope Field Hospital during Spring 2020, and the 1,034 staff who took incredible care of them. With heartfelt appreciation to Dr. Ann Klebanski, President and CEO of Mass General Brigham, and the entire Mass General Brigham leadership team, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, and Boston's Mayor Marty Walsh for making it all happen and with much gratitude to our partners and colleagues at Spaulding Rehabilitation Hospital, Boston Medical Center, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Boston Healthcare for the Homeless, Boston Convention and Exhibition Center, Suffolk Construction, the Army Reserve, the Massachusetts National Guard, Massachusetts Emergency Management Agency, and the Boston Public Health Commission. Uncertainty. This word came up a lot, especially during the early days in April 2020 of admitting patients to Boston Hope from our local acute care hospitals. Now it's late October 2020, and we are in yet another period of uncertainty as the numbers of infections rise here in the U.S. and abroad. But as we move deeper into fall and winter, perhaps as a medical community, we are in a better position to handle that uncertainty given what we have experienced together. Up next is a conversation recorded last month at home base headquarters in Boston and Zoom with Boston Hope's commander, General Jack Hammond.
1: And so when people realize that, it's almost like your back's up to the wall a little bit. That gave people that extra burst of energy where they needed it and that unity of purpose which was required.
0: Deputy Commander Michael Allard.
2: On Saturday, we toured the Boston Convention Center and that floor was bare. And in five days from that Saturday,
0: it was built. And medical directors, doctors Jeanette Ives Erickson.
3: All of the staff understood what we wanted to achieve and that there was an environment where they were working that it was okay to say, I've never done this before.
4: And Giles Boland. Every day we had conversations to make sure we're putting patients front and center, that we're going to mitigate any risk, whether it was the beds, whether it was the pharmacy, you can go on and on. There were dozens of these conversations that allowed us to come through with no significant safety events. And, And that's one of the proudest things I want to say about this team, the whole wider team.
0: And this was special on a personal level, because I had the chance to sit with this dynamic team of four to reflect on Boston Hope together, and think back to the magic that was formed, that unity of purpose. Thanks for joining us as we discuss this public-private, military-civilian effort, a collaboration that came together as Boston Hope.
3: In mid-March, this COVID virus was hitting Massachusetts uh, with a vengeance. And more and more of the people in eastern Massachusetts were being admitted, especially to the Boston teaching hospitals. And as admission volume grew, and we understood the uh, debilitating after effects of this disease on the citizens, it became clear that we needed to increase capacity, especially capacity for people at the non-acute level of care who could Mm -hmm. not go home and care for themselves. So Boston Hope, the 1,000 bed field hospital, was uh, created by Governor Charlie Baker, the mayor of Boston, Marty Walsh, uh, at the time, Partners Healthcare, now Mass General, Brigham, as well as Boston Healthcare for the Homeless. And we needed a place for COVID-positive people. Right. Uh, people who needed, as I said, non-acute level care, especially the care of uh, restoring uh what I would say uh, the activities of daily living, uh, gaining strength, mobility, et cetera, as well as the um, homeless population, the undomiciled uh, citizens in Boston who did not require hospitalization, but were COVID positive and, and really needed a place uh, to be together and to be off the streets of, of Boston. So several of us, Uh, received calls around the 1st of April from our leaders asking us if we would come together to open up a field hospital that really uh, was built on the the spirit of uh, bringing not only our I would say clinical skills, but our passion for uh, the people of, of Boston. So a four-person team came together mm-hmm. uh, to create this wonderful 1,000-bed field hospital. Uh, I call us the team of four in health care. The
0: Hope Four the is hope here for. literally in the house. And when you think about the, the call that you got, Was there something that struck you, Giles, thinking about why we needed to do this for this pandemic?
4: We were all, remember the beginning of April, we weren't yet, uh, we were still ahead of the peak surge. We knew it was coming. Uh, We were all wondering, how big is it gonna be? How are we gonna respond uh, with all the acute hospitals in the city? Uh, and you know, not just Mass General Brigham, but but all the other great facilities too. And what's it going to look like? Uh, how bad is it going to be? Are we going to be like New York City? Are we going to be like uh, Milan, etc.? We just didn't know. And I, I think we were all I'm anxious to a certain degree of how this was going to play out. We've done amazing work in the hospitals to prepare for this, but this piece that Jeanette was talking about, and uh, from the governor and and from the mayor, you know. It, I didn't realize that that was another component that we had to think about because I was busy trying to do my stuff here. And then out of nowhere, I got the call uh, on a Friday morning. And because we were all, it was an existential moment for humanity, frankly, let alone us in healthcare. Because the call came in and there was a need, I I will say in retrospect, I didn't even blink. It was, "This this is what's needed. This makes so much sense. Everyone's doing their best in the acute hospitals and and beyond to do what's right. This just seemed the right thing to do without really knowing what it was, uh, without knowing where the surge was going. And so I think all of us the same were probably felt the same. If this is a need and it seems to make sense, I'm all in.
0: Being through home base and working with military and, and thinking about that Drive to do whatever is needed. Another person that we've got to know is General General Hammond, and so you have experience in doing that in other places in the world. And I thought maybe from your lens as a general, but also someone that works in healthcare, you can tell us how this happened, how how was it built?
1: So I, I would just take take that one step back that that, that uh, Giles and Jeanette talked about. And, and I think it starts with that that oh boy moment, you know. I, I, in late March, when the governor called and asked me to do this, you know, I, as you mentioned, I've done expeditionary, expeditionary operations before, where you you have to build complex things in austere places, and, and and so I'm a little comfortable with that. But I can tell you, there was that moment when I hung up the phone, and I you know I'd agreed to do it and so forth and. But I started thinking about the fact, and the Army had a failed advertising campaign. They referred to it, the whole scenario as the Army of One, which all of us hated. But I suddenly realized I was an Army of One because my my last question to the governor was, so, so who's funding it and, and where are we getting the people? And he said, that's a great question. <laughs> but we are committed to having this up and running in 10 days. And so that's that moment you you sat there and you say, what did I just do? And so... I would tell you no matter what it is when you run a complex operation, it really is all about people and stuff. And I know I mentioned that a few times at Boston hope you have to have the right people, which means the leaders that help, you know, come up with the strategies and, and the, uh, and they, they, lead the effort. You've got to come up with the right people that actually execute the tasks that know what they're doing. And then you have to provide them with the resources that are critical to success. Um, So then, you know, so that's the easy broad strokes, but it is, it comes down to its people and stuff. And then from there, you've got to find the right people and you've got to determine what the right stuff is and you've got to get it. And in this compressed time period, that's where we really faced our biggest challenge was pulling together the right people and the right stuff. And obviously, you know, when I hung up with uh, the governor, the mayor pledged his support and his resources. I talked with Michael and he jumped in. I talked with Peter, and he said he had a really good idea and a great um, person in, the, in, in Jeanette. Um, and, and then I followed back up with the governor. And he said he was close with, with partners committing to funding this thing. Um, but really, when we all came together and we got that team, the leadership team together, that's when it starts falling, the pieces start falling into place. And then you start breaking this seemingly impossible task and, and figure out how to make it possible. By, by breaking it down into smaller pieces, and then identifying new friends. And as you know, our org chart evolved on a daily, hourly basis sometimes, bringing in more experts and more great people. You know, in each case, found more requirements that we needed. Um, and, and that was a really, it was a, it, it, this spun off itself. But when you bring in a team of teams like we had, um, right. then it becomes a very collaborative process where no one person has any of the answers, but collectively we were able to come up with all of the answers.
0: Well, and I'll never forget the analogy, it was the first time I've ever, ever heard it, of the airplane going down the runway, this visual where it's about to take off or it's not even taking off, or we're still putting, that, putting it together as it's taking off. And so General Hammond, for those listening, is, was the, uh, the commander of the effort, and then, of course, we have both of you guys working at, at home base, but translating over to home, to Boston Hope. And the deputy commander, Michael, is right across from us here. There's a lot of stuff that happened over two months. And when you think back on Boston Hope, those two months, um, what we accomplished and, and what are some of the highlights?
2: Yeah, so um, I'm going to the liberty that general hammond did step back a second because i I did I, i did resonate with what uh giles dr boland was saying where i think each one of us experienced and for me when general hammond called me and and this was coming down and and you have that opportunity to give to your community that is a very rare moment and so you know for me similarly to what giles experienced i was all in actually before i probably even realized that i had jumped in and it was a rewarding experience. And I think when you look back and you say, OK, what, what did we do? So we started with four very committed individuals uh, with great experiences to this country and to our healthcare community. And then we set about building structurally in five days an actual field hospital, which uh, if you think back, I think Giles got that call on Friday. On Saturday, we toured the facility, the Boston Convention Center, and that floor was bare. It was vacant.
0: Yeah.
2: And in five days from that Saturday, it was built, uh, and and you know a credit to Suffolk Construction, who actually just won a national award for their accomplishments um, uh, in building out Boston Hope, and so. Um, you know, you have to think about what does it take to go into the design of a hospital? And, and some of the key things I remember is first, who are we going to serve? What was, what was the population? And I think when we talk about some of the successes, we uh, collectively with the leadership of, of the Commonwealth, the city and, and Mass General Brigham Health System, you know, made a very um, prescient decision to admit COVID positive patients who are sub or post acute. Right. And, and that really is a success success factor that I know Giles and Jeanette will get into in, in a few minutes but within five days the facility was built and within 10 days we saw our first patient and within 12 days uh, we had hired over a thousand people uh, to contribute to that effort and right. and that that is the the mark of uh, a few good dedicated people can create something. Uh, that is quite remarkable, and, and an hour of need that this city and this commonwealth uh, desperately needed.
3: You know, as, as we all came together, and it's, it's, I think, important that each one of us has said we didn't have a moment of hesitation.
0: Yeah.
3: I remember Peter Slavin, the president of the Mass General, telling me that this hospital was to be built. And I had the opportunity to work with Jack Hammond. And I said, OK. And he said, well, do you want to think about it and call me back? I said, no. When, when do we start? Right. And I, I think from that, everybody's talking about leaning in. It's that unity of purpose mm. that really, uh, and, and unity of purpose also from the construction company also from many of the vendors. Everyone knew our community was in trouble, and so we had an important purpose, but we were unified uh, on what the outcome needed to be. I want to pick up on the fact we weren't really sure the how at the uh, get-go but our values and our vision of what could be I hope is coming through by what everybody's saying about those initial moments.
0: Yeah, and and the how is going to follow because you have the trust and you know that the system and the people you're working with may have some pitfalls along the road along the way, but it's going to it's going to happen.
1: But Ron, Ron, I, I yeah. just want to build on what Jeanette was saying a minute ago because I think that, that 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 is a huge piece to this. To a person that came aboard, they were all volunteers. Number one. But failure was not an option because everybody realized what was at stake. We, you know, we could not fail. If we failed, you know, there was a potential for a much larger failure than just our our endeavor. And and so it, in in many ways, people realized the importance of it, and, and and you know what was at stake. And so when people realize that, it's almost like your backs up to the wall a little bit. That gave people that extra burst of energy where they needed it. And as Jeanette talked about that unity of purpose, which was required.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I'd love to hear, you know, Giles, you mentioned something about being at the Brigham chair of a department, uh, you're running that, but at the same time, your heart is beating, right? Because your brain is trying to monitor it, but your heart is going fast because I say that because I've gotten to know you and I've had the privilege to work with you and all of you. Forget about the fact that we're all at a great hospitals and we, you know, we have clinical experience. What, what i was struck by was the fact that you have the opportunity to actually t- do something about this and that was very powerful
4: for me i got that sense from you too giles yeah um i was gonna uh, answer in a slightly uh, different way in that when when i got the call and i said whatever i can do to help i'm all in and by the way one of the factors was and i'm not just saying this because of the great work I'm. Uh, um, I did with Jeanette. I did know Jeanette a little bit from Mass General days and what um, strong leadership skills Jeanette had. And I said, if they're going to choose people like Jeanette, I didn't know Jack and I didn't know Mike, um, I'm going to need that because I'll be honest with you, I had no idea what I was, gonna, what I was getting into. Uh, and on day one, it actually, it was the same day I had the call, Mike, uh, was the tour for me. Um, I, I was looking around at you all and I met you and I'm going, I, I, the only person I know here is Jeanette, and I know no one else, but I'm gonna have to trust that the people that have been chosen here have the same mindset, the same passion, the same commitment, and the se- kind of the same values. And within 24 hours, that all gelled. And I said, I can do this because of the people they brought to the table. Had I not had that sense of belief, I, I would have, it, it would have been much harder. So I came in really not knowing anything about how to do this. And you know I still had to learn a huge amount while I was there for the three months that I was there. But because of the openness, the humility, the engagement, and the belief that we were all there because the city needed us, um, I was allowed very quickly to get into a lane where I felt I could contribute, I could be helpful, and I I am part of this bigger purpose in a way that I'm not gonna be a distraction or get in people's way. I saw a nod over there.
3: Well, as usual, my dear, dear colleague Giles uh, has wonderful words. Uh, I, I think that that sense of us being all in and that we trusted each other, still didn't know what we were gonna do, but we trusted each other, played itself out very quickly to Michael's point that within days we hired 1,000 people and the team of 1,000 gelled very quickly because they saw the four leaders trusted were openly questioning looking for ideas, looking for solutions to problems that we had never encountered before. Uh, Our families were worried sick about (laughs) us being in a COVID positive hospital, but yet when we arrived at Boston Hope, we knew we were safe. How weird was that? And it's it's strange that I felt safer at, at Boston Hope, a COVID positive hospital than i did elsewhere because of what giles uh, was explaining was the trust you knew nobody would ever do anything that would hurt the mission or hurt an individual
0: you know there was a something you brought up i think giles about the one day how you knew immediately there was a narrative around boston hope that and i hadn't thought about it until this minute is that One day is like a week, and one week is like a month, right? Right. And so what is it about that? Can you even picture that right now?
2: Well, it it is interesting. I remember us talking about that, and and I know in speaking with many of our veterans, and and General Hammond can relate to this, that 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 is the nature of a deployment. Right, that's the nature of an expeditionary environment where time warps, and and when you are sleepless, we were all sleepless, um, and and you feel this impending requirement, as General Hammond said, that th- failure is not an option, then then you begin to understand that um, you give it everything that you have, and then you give it even more. Um, you know, I, and and I think about you know. There's a lot of looking back. There's a lot of moments in which you know you you try and trust your instincts based on you know when that one day seems like a week, and so each one of us, I think, between uh, Jeanette and Giles, General Hammond and myself, we begin to tap into other staff members. Ron, you're 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 absolutely one of them as you led the medical team uh, on the ground uh, where. We each drew from the MGH in the Brigham and home base. And at home base, we had over close to 60 people that uh, deployed. Many of them were veterans um, that were used to an environment and one sitting down the table here with Brendan McCaffrey that that knew that they had that same spirit, that whatever it took, um, they would be all in. Yeah. Um, so when, when we think about people stuff in place which is usually the the military terminology in terms of what you need to determine uh, it does uh, start with people as general Hammond said
0: and uh, you, you mentioned Marine veteran uh, Brendan McCaffrey who's at the end of the table here who was one of the the key people among uh, uh, you know there were several folks in the command center that really drove this program forward and it was uh, you know was made possible by some of that like you know programmatic, structure. And General Hammond, you know, when it comes to this analogy of one day equals two two weeks, people coming together, the chain of command, this is obviously not new to you. Um, I think it was two weeks into it that the Army Reserves came in. And that seemed like it was probably like three months into it. (laughs) But whether they were there or not, this to me was a military mission. But when they came in, it, it was, as, as a civilian doc, I mean, granted, I've had the luxury and privilege of working with you guys, but like that, that blew me away. And it was like, I remember talking with some other physicians that were Army and saying, wow, I, I kind of get it now, the way that this is being structured.
1: If you look at it from an operational sense, right? One of the key things that took place was we built a, a very solid operational plan that was developed based on months of work within the partner system identifying what the patient population should be. And that can't be underscored because if you looked around the country, many of these field hospitals failed miserably because they didn't work, it was not a true partnership between the private sector healthcare system that needed the support and the resources of the government to bring in those additional types of funds and resources. And so they were all over the place. And because it, that wasn't in sync, right now they, they were destined for, for failure from step one. But in our case, we started out pretty well because we, we worked well with Paul Binger and uh, Ryan and the team knowing what the pop, population looked like. And so our team's task was, how do, we, how do we get at this, right? And I know Jeanette and Giles and yourself and others sat down and looked and said, we need to build pods. you know, we got to break this down smaller because we're not going to have all 1200 people right away. We're going to have 48 person pods. So let's start building those 48 person teams first so that we can get up and running on day seven and be ready to receive folks. Right. And then once we have the recipe straight, now it's a matter of more people and more stuff. And, you know, the timing of the army coming in there with the army reserve was like the, you know, the old cavalry Um, They came at the right moment, at the right time, with the right resources, so that we could pop up pod number two, you know, seamlessly. They did their right seat ride, and this was, they brought a certain level of discipline and order that they're trained to do, but on the flip side, they were able to suck up talent, knowledge, and experience from the providers that were here uh, and and harmonize very quickly, and, and they were absorbed as members of the team, you know, seamlessly, and so, you know, in, in, in military terms, that's exactly what you want to see. Um, very rarely does it happen as well as it did here.
2: Ron, you asked, what did we accomplish? And um, actually, interestingly, this morning I had a real privilege of being a guest lecturer at the Harvard um, School of Public Health, the Chan School of Public Health, with one of our colleagues, Bonnie Blanchfield, who teaches a course there. And, uh, and, and the topic was Boston Hope. And, and the exercise was, uh, how do you create a budget uh, for something like this, which was an interesting exercise because um, we, we did think about finances, but uh, it was happening at, at lightning speed. Um, But um, there were two things that that came about out of that uh, discussion with the the students, which were across the world, internationally, all dialed in via Zoom. And and the first was, did we think, and I know that you had a recent conversation with Dr. David King and David Ortiz about uh, the experiences around the Boston Marathon, And, and is there some DNA transfer or cultural adaptation that we may have benefited from when the bombing happened uh, just mm-hmm. a few years ago, where at another time in Boston's history, um, you saw public, private, multi-institution, multi-healthcare entities coming together to respond to a crisis.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you,
2: I think the answer is yes.
0: That, that makes total sense. And, and I think that their Boston strong will never go away. Because this is sev- This was seven years later, and, and what was it? The T-shirts are still saying Boston Strong at Mass General. Um, and Brigham, too, of course, Giles. Um, absolutely. So, now, so, yeah, so go the, ahead.
2: Se- the, the second piece I'll yeah, is um, it turned out that one of the students was one of our clinicians at Boston Hope. Mm. And we talked about that in terms of what we accomplished. Um, the first thing that we mentioned was that despite all expectations, we did not lose a single patient during the time that Boston Hope was open. And that was remarkable because we thought we would. Um, And the second was, and and this came from this student. No one died. Nobody died. Um, That it's not only that we took care of those patients, but that we wrapped our arms around the clinicians that were working round the clock and that they had never felt so taken care of from our wellness efforts and, and Ron I know you are a big part of this as well as Giles and Jeanette's leadership uh, to making sure that we had the right chaplains in place to all the things that um, I think made that very special for those of us that were working there day to day.
4: Can I just build on one of the pieces that Mike mentioned that given the potential chaotic nature of what we were trying to do with uh, multiple teams from very different organizations who who'd never worked before, we were all gravitating around a policy and procedures that we were trying to put in place in terms of care. Not only did we not have no deaths, we had no major safety event. To achieve that with that complexity of individuals and space and patients, I think it goes to what we stood for in in our delivery in, in terms of, uh, day in day out chasing down every potential failure point that could trip us up uh, and I remember every day we had conversations of who's on so and so to make sure that we've got that covered and that we're uh, we, we're putting patients front and center that we're going to mitigate any any risk whether it was the beds whether it was the showers whether it was the pharmacy, what you can go on and on and on. There were dozens of these conversations that went on in real time each day that allowed us to come through with no significant safety events. And, and that's one of the proudest things I want to say about this team, yeah. and I mean the whole team, the whole wider team, yeah. uh, everyone involved, up to the thousand of people or so who actually touched Boston Hope. That was an incredible achievement. Cheers to that.
0: Absolutely, Giles. Uh, you know, Jeanette's done, in a lot of your career, research and diving into quality and diving into the, the experience. If you could sort of look from above onto the convention center and this whole experience and what you've done with other hospitals, what stands out or what was special about the, the way that the staff experienced this two months?
3: So, I, I have to go back to leaders setting the tone, the vision, creating the structure where all of the staff, clinical and support staff, understood
0: hmm.
3: what we wanted to achieve, and that there was an environment where they were working that it was okay to say, I've never done this before. Right. Right. And that because became, no one has right, and and I've never done this before. It became one of our uh, one of the ways in which we either verbalized uncertainty, and that we were looking for ideas, or we also behaved that way as leaders. And I th- I think Michael said this very well right from the beginning, through whether it was the incident command structure. Mm-hmm or whether it was the way in which people were being hired or the onboarding process, everyone knew we had never done this before, but patient safety was job one. Mm -hmm. And that our large goal was to make sure that all of these patients were either returned home safely or to a shelter safely or to whatever they called their home. Right. And so we all knew what we were supposed to do, how we were to come to Boston Hope each and every day to take care of over 700 citizens to protect them. So if you were afraid that you were going to make a mistake, or you were afraid that you were about to care for a patient, whether it was a disease or the restoration of function. Or if you were afraid of ordering supplies that you had never ordered before, it was okay to raise your hand. And I think that's what led to what Giles just reflected on, was no patient died. We had no major incidents. And I I would say that that then led to, uh, we ended up with a worry that one patient wasn't going to be discharged, as it was clear that our mission was coming to an end. Yeah. And, and I'm I- sorry, but we were hell-bent that that person was not going to be returned to a hospital. Brilliant. And a 1,000 employees said, we can do this. It doesn't matter how many physical therapy sessions this person has, how many music therapy sessions... The whole, everything that was important to this patient became important to the team. And we discharged everyone from Boston Hope.
0: By June 5th, that was it.
1: Normally, you know, on these expeditionary operations, we train, we prepare as a team, and then we do a variety, you know, we can deal with fastballs and highballs and lowballs because we have a solid committed team that we know and trust everybody and we work with each other and they're cohesive. This was just a pickup team. And in a very short period of time, we were able to build and empower multiple levels of leaders that were truly empowered to make decisions, but also had, as Jeanette always say, nobody has to worry alone. They knew they, they weren't gonna be held to a standard on their own, that they, they, you know they were making decisions, but they were empowered and trusted by us. And then on the flip side of this, We were trying to manage three bosses because we we worked for the governor, we worked for the mayor, and we all worked for partners in some way, or partners was our funder if you didn't work for partners. And then in the middle of all of this, you had all these, these, these collaborative partnerships between the city, the state, and the federal government. You had police from the city, the state, and the National Guard. You had medical providers from competing hospital systems and different parts of similar hospital systems. We had, it was privately funded with some government resources. And whenever you have those, you have competing requirements on how you use the money. So balancing all of those things, again, while you're putting together a thousand person pickup team and training it, building it and training it into a cohesive team, you know, that's where it really starts getting to that remarkable level beyond just, you know, and it wasn't good. It was great. To Jeanette's point, everybody, we wanted to make sure right from the first to the last patient, everybody was treated cared for, and then deployed home, not back to a hospital.
0: So I'd like to hear from you for possibly the one thing or maybe two things, whatever comes to mind, that treated you and made you well during those two months. We talk about body, mind, and soul. General Hammond talks about that battle rhythm, taking care of yourself. This is what we teach our veterans and their families. This is what we we try to uh, uh, embody. What are, the, what are the things that brought you through these two months? Something that comes to mind. It could be anything.
3: Uh, I mentioned earlier that our families were worried sick, that we were all working in a COVID-positive hospital. And so I found I was going home to an empty condo every night, and what I looked forward to each morning was coming to my new family.
2: That's very true. When you think about what gets you through these, <clears throat> every morning, four of us would show up, uh, and 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 there was another team surrounding team. Ron, you were included in that, uh, and we'd start off our morning. It was early mornings, and. Uh, and inevitably, you naturally, because as Giles talked about, you start to develop this trust that goes beyond sort of the professional. And, and you, you begin to convey a little bit of whatever that challenge was. Um, and so, in, of course, you do worry about your family back home and, uh, and everything that other family members are trying to hold down while, while we're doing this work. Sure. Um, so for me, it was, it was this group. Uh, And and it also was our home base family. You know, I I think our close to 60 staff members, they put their blood, sweat, and tears into this. And and I trusted them um, beyond belief to be able to do the job. And it made it easy because they're actually a pretty funny bunch. Uh, And so they've got that uh, military humor that I think um, often comes through in these settings where despite your bad days, you, you can... You can kind of get through it uh, by leaning on your person on your left and on your right.
3: Boston Hope would not have been as successful as it was without Home Base. Uh, All of the Home Base staff really did extraordinary work while they were also trying to do their other work of making sure our veterans were being taken care of.
4: Absolutely. Giles, what, what, what took you through this? Um, from a practical point of view, it sounds awfully dull, but it was important for me at least. And I took my cues from, from uh, Jack, uh, get to sleep as, uh, early each night and get uh, a good night's sleep. Because once you, uh, I arrived in the morning, you didn't really know when the day was going to end. And you didn't know the intensity of the day and, what, and frankly, what was going to happen. Uh, so that I felt that was important. But Uh, I just want to, um, not because I uh, just want to agree with everyone here, but because it's fact that what got me through and actually energized me, and when I said before you started recording, this is the best team I've ever worked with, which I will, I doubt I will ever, um, that will ever change. uh, And it wasn't just the four leaders here who um, I'm talking about, it was the whole team um, and very much the home base team. I, I got to meet your wider team at home base, who I, I I felt huge respect for, and and it was reciprocated. And because we were all working to this, uh, I know it sounds a, a little kitschy, but to this higher purpose in this crisis, we knew that we needed to depend on each other, and we needed to um, trust each other and be humble with each other. Somehow that translated for me into wellness and well-being that I could come each day a little bit like Jeanette said uh, and here's my new family that uplifted me and 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 got me through all the ups and downs of the work
0: thank you Charles for that
4: uh I think it's very
0: appropriate that we uh we hear from General Hammond in his bunker um the airplane the airplane was on the tarmac it got built it soared very high, and it soared a lot longer than I think we thought it might soar, and then it landed uh, without any, God forbid, crash or any turbulence, right? What about you? What took you through this?
1: I think uh, there's a couple things. And in, in the first, and it goes back to what you said and began with, and there's an expression in the Army, the strength of the Army is with our soldiers, and the strength of our soldiers is with their families. And, and, and if we know our families are taken care of, and they're good to go, as we say in the Army. That that, that was important to me. And for Colleen, who had, my wife, who had been through lots of deployments um, and is also a nurse, she understood the necessity and need um, and, and took care of things so that I could focus on what I needed to do. But equally as important, at Boston Hope, we had such an amazing leadership team that we had leadership in depth so that if anything happened, the worst potential situation is when you have one single person trying to lead an organization because you have a single point of failure and nobody can be an expert on everything. And so when you have a great collaborative leadership team that can address anything that gets thrown at them, um, you can sleep at night and you get those six, eight hours of sleep that Giles just mentioned. If you don't have that, you're staying up all night worrying about everything instead of pieces of things. And as Jeanette points out, no one has to worry alone. And so when you have this shared worrying team, planning team and operational team, um, it can give you the comfort and resiliency to take on anything. There's one person I forgot to mention earlier, and that was Laura Lake and, and the work she did, because frankly, Laura's not done. <laughs> we, we've all kind of moved on a little bit, but Laura, Laura's still keeping her tabs on. Uh, she had to move that that thousand bed hospital out and store it and still manage it under stored conditions. So, I just want to pass on just a quick thanks for her because um, we, we worked her to the bone.
0: Well said. yeah, that's really well,
2: well said. said And maybe one more final thing if you're still recording and <laughs> baseball because you know home base has its roots in baseball right with our beloved Red Sox. We talk about five tool players, right? So the five tool player on this table is you, Dr. Ron Hirschberg, because hey, you are not only a physician at the MGH. And at Spalding Rehab Hospital, uh, and you've treated our veterans here at home base, and you are medical director on the floor at Boston Hope. So, you didn't—you uh, spent a lot of time hosting this podcast, but um, that leadership extends to you and, and everything that you've been able to accomplish.
0: Wow! Thanks so much. Um, um, thanks, um, thank nice guys. Thanks, See you. all right. Thanks so much for our guests for coming together today. The Hope Four, Home Base Executive Director, Brigadier General Jack Hammond, Home Base Chief Operating Officer Michael Allard, Chief Nurse Emerita at Massachusetts General Hospital, Jeanette Ives Erickson, and the President of the Brigham and Women's Physician Organization, Dr. Giles Boland. I'm your host, Ron Hirschberg. Stay safe, take care of each other, and we'll see you next time.
2: You never wanna say this while things are going on, and of course, when we were setting up the plans to do all of this, we fully expected that we may lose somebody. But the fact that no one passed under this watch is... Probably one of the most amazing successes that we've had.
0: To you. Congratulations. Home Base Nation is the official podcast for Home Base Program for veterans and military families, a partnership of the Mass General Hospital and the Red Sox Foundation.
1: This still will go down as the most satisfying thing I've ever done in my life.